G'day Fools, I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fools Chief Investment Officer here in Australia. Welcome to our second ever Facebook live chat. Um, now Fools, we didn't frankly expect to be back with you so soon, but the markets have been a little bit volatile of late, you may have noticed. And so we thought we'd take a little bit of time and hopefully a little bit of your lunchtime if you're on the Eastern Seaboard or maybe a coffee if you're in the West, just to have a quick chat about what's going on on the markets. Now, this will be a little bit different to our last chat, hopefully a little more seamless because this is my second time around, but more importantly, Last time I gave you my thoughts on what was happening on the market based on what I thought you might want to know. This time we're doing it the other way around. We've actually asked your, or you and your fellow readers and members well in advance what you actually wanted to hear us talk about, the questions you wanted to have answered specifically. So, Phils, I've got a whole lot of questions. That a lot of you used Slido yesterday. Um, thank you to those who submitted questions. Thank you to those two who took the time to upvote the questions, as they say in the lingo, uh, to show us which ones you thought were most important and the ones you wanted answers to. Now, as is always the way for The Motley Fool, we can only give you general advice. None of this is personal advice, nor is it personalized advice. Um, that's that's the reality. We have to say that. ASIC makes us say that. It's also, by the way, the right thing to say because it's the truth. Uh, we don't know your needs, objectives, issues. So we can't say what you should do specifically. All we can say is what we think our members and readers and, and viewers today uh, as a whole should do and how that we think they should act in this particular current market environment, given the questions that we've got. So I just want to lay that out there. It's important that we do so, A, legally, but actually more importantly, because it's on top of that, because we think it's actually the right thing to do as well. So in this case, uh, we're well and truly aligned with what ASIC think is the right thing to do. Now, let's get on with it, because we've got a lot of questions from you, a lot of votes from you. Thank you very much for doing that. I'll also try and respond to some Facebook questions live if they come through. Um, so bear with me as I try and do that with a couple of screens in front of me. Uh, be kind, as I said, the same I second go through. We'll spend a bit of time. I've got a good couple of dozen questions. We'll see how many we can get through in a reasonable amount of time. I'll try and do them justice. I'll also look away from the camera from time to time because I've got the question on a piece of paper here uh, beside me. Uh, so as we do that, it'll give you a sense of, of what I'm going through. All right, let's get into it. So question one from Fred. We've got uh, 94 votes. It was obviously a popular one. What are the best buys at the moment in brackets today? And that's probably relevant given the situation that we find ourselves in. I would really like to slip in and buy a few beauties. Uh, that's a good question. Kevin asked a similar question, by the way. He says, I've been sitting on the sidelines awaiting this event. Funds ready to invest in a strategic portfolio to catch the rise. But when to strike and into what? So that's a, look, a good couple of questions there. And I guess I'll try and address them each individually. Um, look, best buys at the moment is, is everyone's question. The first thing I want to say is probably think about how to think about those best buys really, really quickly. The market as it stands is a good 20-ish percent, depending on how it's gone in the last 15, 20 minutes, um, away from its recent highs. Now, that means that the dollar you were paying for a month ago is now only selling for 80 cents. Now, it's not just the same dollar. It's not just the same company, of course, because we have the combination of coronavirus, the response, and we saw, we saw the government's $18 billion uh, announcement this morning to deal with that. Uh, we're seeing some from the US as well, almost literally as we speak. Um, there's also the oil shock and, and the fact that oil, oil prices have dropped so far. There are different economic circumstances. The simple reality, though, if you think long term and think, okay, well, let's say this takes, I don't know, six months, eight months, 12 months to resolve. That's one year out of a company's entire future. When you're buying shares, if the market's working properly, and it generally does, you're buying all of the future profits of the company you're buying, not just this year, not just next year, but effectively into eternity. Now, in 100 years' time, I won't be here, you won't be here. The profits that year aren't so relevant, but if you think out five, seven, 10, 15, 20 years, they're the profits you're buying today. If this is just a reasonably short to medium term impact, the coronavirus impact, and things get back to normal in one, two, three years, 
then you've got to ask yourself, what sort of discount should you be, you know, should, should we be receiving for that issue? Uh, Jeremy Siegel, uh, what professor, very well-known writer and thinker, you know, was saying only a week or so ago, you know, profits, even if profits this year go to zero, then that would take 10 year, 10%, sorry, off the expected value of any company. And yet, if shares down 20, 30%, well, that tells you exactly there should be some value there. So that's the first thing to do in terms of thinking about how to go buy. Which stocks to buy? Look, again, that's a really difficult question to answer for everybody for a whole lot of different reasons. Um, there are the usual safe stocks, which are the ones that won't fall as far, probably aren't as even should, uh, if not bounce back, at least not be impacted as badly. So for those who are conservative investors who are saying, well, I just want, I just want the safe stuff a little bit cheaper, that's one question. There are other stocks that frankly, and if I go back to the GFC and Flight Center, for example, it fell from $3 to three, right? 90% decline for bouncing back to over $45 and then down again since then before the, the current outbreak. So it's been all over the place, but from 30 to three, that was a real, and back to 30, by the way, a 10 bagger from that point, then you had to have, you know, real guts. You had to have a real, you know, effectively, you know, a will of steel, uh, emotions of granite almost to get through that because it was a really tough time going flights. So and now, Plenty of people did, and they should have. That was probably the stock to buy. But gee, as you went from 30 to 27 to 25 to 20 to 15 to 10 to 3, that's a long, long way to fall. It takes a long time, and it really does test the patience of the individual. Look, I think for, for what it's worth for my money, um, if you're a, a relatively inexperienced or novice investor, just be buying an index is probably a good option right now. Um, Australian or US index is probably a good choice. If you want to be a little bit conservative, I'd look for something like a, I guess, a Washington H. Sol Pattinson. I own shares. SOL is the code for that one. They're not going to fall anywhere near as far as the rest of the market because it's just a different type of business. Um, but again, if you're looking for it, it is cheaper than it has been, by the way. And so while it's down, that may well be a, a good option for you. Um, we'll get another topic in a minute, the travel companies. But I think, uh, again, if you can really withstand the pain of, of volatile share prices, unless companies like Webjet and Flight Center are permanently damaged, uh, and they may be, and we've got to work out by how much, and no one can know, so that's that, that's the problem with investing. But if you think about that, then I would argue um, if they do go back to even close to their former glory, let alone at or above, and frankly, if these companies survive and thrive post-coronavirus, you expect their profits to be higher in five years' time than they were last year, for example. And if that's true, they're worth more than last year's share price, except the share price currently is down 30 40 50%. So I think those are two ends of the spectrum. What I would be really careful of, and we might get to that in a minute, maybe this is a what to avoid rather than what to buy, be very, very careful of businesses with lots of debt. So if you've got a lot of cash in your balance sheet, think about your personal balance sheet. If you lose your job tomorrow and you've got six months cash in the back pocket, you've got plenty of time to find another job, right? You're sweet. If you've got 300 bucks in the back pocket and you lose your job, you've got about three days to find another job. If you don't, then you risk real financial ruin, possible bankruptcy. Now, I hope there's no one listening or watching, by the way. Hopefully, you do have a rainy day account. That's a whole different conversation. But in the short term, you've got to be careful of companies with debt. If they have too much debt and cash flows do dry up because of coronavirus and the you know, the resultant challenges, whether that's travel, whether that's local um, changes that may happen with the economy, for example, cancellation of large gatherings may happen, those kinds of things, if and when they happen, if you own a company with a lot of debt and they can't get enough cash in the door to pay off that debt, we're going to see those companies enter real strife. So... Whatever you buy, whichever, whatever your risk tolerance is, please, please, please be very careful of companies with lots of debt, particularly if they're going to have issues with their cash flow. In other words, if their sales are going to be impacted, be really, really careful about what you're investing in. All right. Um, okay. So Kevin, then, part of Kevin's question was when to strike. I don't know. No one else knows. Anyone who tells you they know is either lying to you or lying to themselves or both. Now, that's pretty blunt. That's also, I think, pretty true. 
it's impossible to know, right? In hindsight, we know exactly where the bottom of the GFC was. Uh, right now, what happens in the next two weeks on the, on the ASX? I have no idea. This this very minute could be the bottom. This very minute could be the point before it falls on the ten percent. We can't know. Frankly, the market could start to rally this afternoon after after some announcements from governments, and it may be ten percent higher in two weeks. We we just simply can't know. More importantly, we shouldn't bother trying to guess. Now that that seems possibly to some people a little bit. Um, uh, I don't know, negligent perhaps, if you want to use that term. It's not. It's just the fact that you can't know, so why would you bother trying to guess? Any guess you make might make you feel better, um, and you might try and put some logic behind it. But if it's impossible to know, pretending or convincing ourselves we do know is probably a problem in itself because if things don't go to plan, we'll be disappointed because we thought we knew, and that then causes further uh, emotional behavioural issues. So I don't know. What I do know is that investing even in the good times, no matter whether we're up 20%, down 20%, somewhere in between, is all about saying, is today's price attractive relative to the long-term future of those companies? That's the only thing that matters. Now, if a company's share price is going to double from here, and maybe it goes down 10% before it doubles, well, of course I would like to buy 10% cheaper because if I can buy $10 for nine bucks instead, well, of course I'm ahead, right? And when it goes to 20, my percentage gains a little bit more. What's worse would be potentially waiting and missing, buying at 11, you make even less money, or even worse than that, waiting until the coast is clear, and then saying to yourself, well, I've missed that now. Now what do I, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not gonna buy it at all. Uh, Warren Buffett famously tells the story of his Walmart investment, uh, where he didn't buy a large chunk in the company for the sake of, I think it was, I think it was fractions of a cent, something like that, maybe it was a couple of cents, whatever it was. He reckons that that, that, that should cost him $8 billion because he missed the buy, and he didn't buy because the price kept going higher, he didn't buy because the price kept going higher, he missed it altogether, and cost himself $8 billion. Now, that was a few years ago, by the way, I'm not sure what the number is now, um, the, the, the reality is you want to buy at roughly the right price, not at exactly the right time, because you can't know that. All you can say is, is today's price attractive compared to the long-term future? And if it is, I suggest you buy. If you're really worried about timing, I'd say put money into the market slowly over time. Commit a certain proportion of your savings every week or every fortnight or every month if you want to, and invest it slowly, drip feed it in, so you're not so you know rocked back and forth. I put some money into the market a week and a half ago. That, that Those investments are down now. Um, I don't love that fact, but I don't really mind it too much because if I'm right, the long-term value is going to be there regardless of what shares do in the meantime. So when to buy? Um, I'll say now, not because I know now is exactly the right time, i.e. the bottom of the market, but rather because I think now and every now, over time, if you're buying the right companies at the right prices, you want to be in the market and you want to be compounding your money for the, you know, for the longest period you can and to the highest amount you can. And that comes down to buying at about the right price or, or a good price, not the accurate, very best time. So I put it that way. All right, uh, next question is anonymous. Let's go with that. Uh, do you believe there will be a strong bounce back in the travel sector, in brackets, time scale of years? So I love the time scale, thank you. Uh, and if so, surely flights in a webjet are offering value right now. Uh, I think that's right. I, I th I'm not necessarily uh, among a whole group of friends on this one. Uh, plenty of people disagree with me or simply don't wanna play that game because they see too much risk and volatility. I get that. I respect that. Um, in fact, Webjet was one of the companies I did buy a couple of weeks ago. So I put that on the I put that on the record. Um, I don't know what happens in the short term. The share price could halve from here. I genuinely don't know. I'm not being flippant. I just you know I don't know where it goes next. The market's sentiment will be driven by a whole lot of stuff that neither you nor I and our respective crystal balls can tell. Uh, what I do think and expect is that in five years' time, just to pick a time frame. Flight centers, profits, and sales will be higher than they were last year. I won't say this year because this is going to be a funny year with coronavirus. So let's just pick last year's numbers and say it'd be, I think, higher than last year. 
I think Webjet's profits, flight centers profits will be higher than last year in five years' time. If that's true, but I get a share price that is, I don't know what the numbers are down now, 30, 40, 45, 50, maybe percent, um, that's a pretty good time to buy, I reckon, if you have a long-term perspective. Now, I will say, don't just buy those couple of stocks and bet the house on that stuff. Always be diversified, always be long-term. Make sure you're not exposing yourself to too much individual risk. Um, there's an old saying, there are old pilots and bold pilots, but there are no old, bold pilots. I think that's kind of true for investors as well. Um, if you bet the house over and over again, eventually you're going to strike zero and you're going to be in trouble. So um, take a responsible, diversified approach. But yeah, I think those travel companies over time will end up being worth more than they are today, probably meaningfully more than they are today, even though the, the path trend here and there might be rocky. Okay, Eric's question. Eric says, I try to ignore market movements. Do you think, I'm um, oh, sorry, I'm confusing that, uh, and concentrate on dividend income, but with such uncertainty, Will companies hold on to more funds by reducing payouts? Uh, yes, in part. Um, I think if you look at, again, if you think about the companies that are most likely to be impacted sales and profit-wise, including the aforementioned travel companies, yes, I do think they will withhold some more cash, um, either because they want to or they have to. It may not be withholding cash, it may be having less cash in the first place. Um, I think that's absolutely likely. Uh, I think in the case of an economic uncertainty, um, possible rising bad debts, for example, for the banks, I expect to see them either raise more capital or reduce dividends or both. Um, that that could in the short term be, be a headwind. I think that's that's probable. If we go into an economic recession, which I think is possible, I don't think it's necessarily likely, i.e. more likely than not, but it's definitely possible. Hopefully today's stimulus announcement helps that. Um, then again, we could see that absolutely happen. Uh, draw a line through that. I, I, I wouldn't avoid, look, I think, again, go back to the debt question. Uh, also, I mean, look, if you need the dividend income is in, you need the absolute dollars right now that you've got last year, then it could be a tough year. I'm not going to sugarcoat that one. It's possible that an average portfolio will have less dividend income this year than last year. An average portfolio that is not not every portfolio, but the average one, uh, just because that may happen. Uh, you know, if you if you own Flight Center for the dividend or Wedget, a part of its dividend, for example, I, I don't know what they'll do with their with their cash. My guess is it might be lower than last year. That would be reasonable, by the way. It's the right thing for the company to do and in your long term interest. But if you absolutely are banking every cent of the dividend income, then yeah, I think you should be mindful of that and be potentially ready for. Uh, yeah, effectively less cash. I, I can't. I can't solve the problem for you. Uh, please don't don't chase higher yielding stocks just for the sake of it, because the market's reasonably good at that stuff. Um, remember, Tulsa was offering a dividend of ten or twelve percent before the dividend was cut, because the market expected the dividend would be cut, and it was. And that was no surprise to us. It was no surprise to most people. But if you'd done a screen or looked at this, looked at the the paper and said, "Look, dividend, you know, Tulsa ten percent, twelve percent yield, I should buy some." You were pretty disappointed after that because you chased the yield that really wasn't there. So be very very careful with that. Yes, dividend income will probably drop this year. Uh, on average, not by a whole heap, I wouldn't imagine, by the way, across an average portfolio, uh, but I think it probably will. I think it'll come back, by the way, like share prices. Um, ten, generally during a downturn, dividends fall less than share prices. The bounce back is also less than share prices, as you'd expect. Um, so yeah, expect some. You may have to tighten the belt. If that's you, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. I don't, I don't like giving that news, but that's the reality. You probably should prepare for it. If it doesn't happen, you've got some extra cash. If it does happen, then at least you're prepared. Okay. Um, that was from Eric. Uh, Anonymous, what sections of the stock market do you think will recover first or the quickest? Believing that will, of course, going on past history. Uh, great question. So uh, no one knows, uh, and you can't know because otherwise everyone would already be there. Part of the problem with, uh, look, you should never believe that I or anyone else has this magical insight into how the market will react over the short to medium term because if everyone knew that already, it would already happen. Uh, you've probably heard of the Santa Claus effect, which is that shares tend to rise in December. Do you know why that happens? That happens because there was a thing called the January effect before that, which everyone tried to front run by buying in December in advance of the January effect. When you buy in December, 
then you push the prices up and that creates a Santa Claus rally. Now, at some point, probably in a couple of years, we'll have the November effect because everyone tries to front run the December effect. If everyone knew, we all knew when, what, what sectors would recover the quickest, we'd be there first and we'd, we'd be uh, already jumping on those stocks. So I don't know. Uh, what I would say is that um, think about sentiment to some degree around the companies that are probably ancillary, uh, uh, impacted on an ancillary basis. So if I was to pick, say, for example, supermarkets, to the extent they're hit by this because the market hates all stocks equally right now, um, they, they should because they're just simply not really affected by this. If they are falling, they should bounce back quickly because the market should recognise and realise pretty quickly that's actually got, you know that, that was a silly view to, to sell off Woolies for the sake of some international issue or tourism issue or consumer confidence issue. We're all buying baked beans. God knows we're all buying toilet paper. So, um, you know, I would expect possibly sentiment would lift on those things first if I was a betting man. Um, I'm not really, and I don't think you should, be trying to work out what happens first. I think that's kind of in market timing territory. I don't think it can be reliably done. I certainly can't do it. I don't know anyone who reasonably can over extended periods of time and repeated circumstances. Uh, I wouldn't be trying to worry about that. I just think I'd, I'd probably look through it and say what recovers best eventually and then invest your dollars accordingly. Okay. Um, is tech in trouble? I have a few tech shares. I thought subscription-based products were safe. Um, really, really good question. So there's investing. I'll answer it with a bit of an investing kind of angle and we'll talk about the company specifically. Remember, investing is two things. The price of any stock is the current level of profits and the future expectations of that profit growth. Any, most of those tech companies right now have very, very, very high expectations. So they're good companies, often they're profit making, some aren't. Often their revenue is growing quickly, some aren't. But generally speaking, these are businesses with hopefully bright futures. I think most people expect their futures are pretty bright. What investors tend to do, particularly in the good times, is they look ahead and go, oh, I, can, I can imagine how big that could be, I can imagine how great that could be. I want to get early, I want to get a good price, I'm going to buy now. And so what that means, you end up paying 10, no, not 10, 30, 40, 50, 100 times earnings, or frankly, 20, 30 times sales when the company doesn't make any earnings. Because people are looking down the pike and saying, hey, by 2028, I think this is going to be really profitable. And I think at that point, uh, you know, if I buy it now, when it gets there, I'll be really rich. Uh, that's probably right in some cases, by the way. So that's why people do it. The problem is that's the sentiment piece, right? Now, when we're, everyone's feeling good, it's very, very easy to extrapolate forward and say, right, I can see a clear path for this. I'm going to pay up a lot of money because I want to get that. When sentiment hits the fan, um, sentiment, I said, by the way, starts with S, ends with T, still sentiment. When the sentiment hits the fan, uh, you've got a situation where people come all of a sudden go, oh, I'm not feeling so confident anymore. And then I'm not going to put as much store in the growth out in 2025, 26, 27, 28 now, because that's a long way away. And I feel a bit scared right now and I'm a bit nervous and stocks are scary. And I don't know if I want to invest at all, let alone in these really high flying, high PE or loss making stocks. I'm going to get out of here. I expect that in some or all cases, that's what's happening right now. You're exactly right. The businesses themselves have hardly changed. Now, some might have some ancillary damage. There might be some companies that deal with other businesses that are cutting back on spending or investment, for example. Um, you know, companies may be cutting back on if retail sales are falling, for example, or customer visits are falling or sales aren't quite as good because there's not many customer calls being done or whatever it is. We should expect if there is an economic impact, it will hit those companies absolutely. Does it change again, like, like the other companies I talked about, does it change their 2028 reality? Well, maybe slightly in the sense that earnings might take a little bit longer to get there. But we're talking about fractions in, in you know, multiple years. So look, I, I, I'm on record as saying, I think eight months ago, some Australian tech was expensive and probably too expensive. 
Um, that wasn't a, a specific view, and I certainly wasn't trying to time the market or make big calls. I wasn't going short the stocks. I just looked at it and went, this looks, this looks a bit expensive. I don't think we should be surprised that in times of trouble like this, that tech shares fall meaningfully because that confidence evaporates. So let's assume that's all true. In that case, either they're coming back to earth to a more reasonable valuation in some cases, or they're actually cheap because their futures are still as good as they were. Uh, do I know which is which? Not easily. We can't know easily which is which. What I would say again, like the companies I've already talked about, is if you genuinely thought their futures were that bright based on the fundamentals, not based on the fact that everyone else thought it was great so the share prices went up, because you can't do that, that doesn't work. Um, but if you can look at it and say, here's what I think, you know, company X, I won't use individual names because it's not particularly relevant, at least for this group. Um, company X, you know, I, th I still think it's going to be just as great in 2021 as I thought it was yesterday. I still love the company. I think it's going to do X billion dollars of sales or million dollars of profit, whatever it is you want to look at. And I think that's worth paying for. Again, if you're getting a cheap price, then great, jump in. Yes, prices are falling. Yes, it's scary. And as you say, the question's from Anonymous, so I can't see who it was. As you say, the, you know, they are supposed to be solid, stable businesses. Recurring revenue businesses are wonderful companies. They're great businesses because most of your revenue is effectively locked in for years to come. That's awesome. So I love the companies. But again, that's different from is the price worth paying? I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying there are those two components to any share price. There is the fundamentals of the business and there's a the sentiment and expectations of the market. And for high growth businesses that are not making much money or making no money, expectations are far and away the most important component of the share price and that you should expect some volatility. I know certainly uh, the guys at Extreme Opportunities in Irban and, and Kevin, they know, for example, in their companies, they're looking for some of those types of businesses. They fully expect heaps of volatility. Um, and that's that's the ticket to the dance in these kind of businesses. So we're feeling that now, we're getting that now. I would say if you bought quality, if you believe in the long-term story, there's absolutely no reason to run away, even if it's painful, the share price is falling. I know it is. Um, don't give up don't give hope. On the same token, it is also a good time to have a look at any company, including tech, and saying, well, is the market now more right than it was? Is there some irrational exuberance coming out of the share price? In other words, it was already too expensive, so now it's not necessarily a great price, it's just more reasonable than it was. Or is it that more pessimism is in the share price rather than the removal of optimism? If that's the case, then there's some value. Okay. Um, what percentage of your share, your total share portfolio should you be looking at investing in new reduced share prices when it's so volatile at the moment? All right, great question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, I would, <laughs> so again, this is a horses for courses thing, right? Um, I'm of the of the school of thought, the old, you know, people talk about getting caught with your pants down. I'd rather get caught with my pants up. In other words, I'd rather be fully invested because markets go up over time more than they go down. So the reality is that over time on the share market, on average, the longer you've been out of the market, the lower your potential returns have been because while there are down years, there are down months, there are down periods, uh, market goes up over time or has gone up over time for the last century plus. So the longer you're out of the market, um, I had I had more cash than I was comfortable with two months two months ago a month ago. I wanted to be more invested. Now I was lucky in the sense I got a chance to invest some of that money at reduced prices, although maybe unlucky because I went too fast. Um, either way, that's the reality of investing. I my personal view is I don't need to have cash out of the market. Um, people say oh, I want to, I want cash available just in case the market falls, and I would say wouldn't you rather be invested just in case the market rises? If it rises more often than it falls, and it rises more than it falls. If you're, if you're doing the in-case job, if you're working out probabilities and expected outcomes, if the market rises two years out of three, then by, by definition, you're actually better being invested than not. Now, that's the rational, logical answer. We're not rational, logical beings as humans. And, and my view, my perspective, my, my logic, may it be yours. Some people just can't stand the fact that prices are falling and freak out. 
and they they feel better if they've got some cash to use because at least then they're getting some sort of bargain. There's some sort of payoff. That's great. That's completely fine. If that's you, fantastic. Um, if you if you simply want to feel like you're beating the market or making judicious calls at the right times and prices, then again, you have some cash out of the market. I think statistically, mathematically, it's better to be invested than not, even if you have to withstand these sorts of falls. So my honest answer is, I see no reason to have excess cash out of the market right now. Not because prices can't fall further, just because the averages are in favor of prices rising. In fact, the further the market falls, and it's already fallen 20-ish percent, the higher the chance the future is actually better rather than worse, right? Could it fall another 20%? I guess. Could it rise another 30, 40, 50% over the next X number of years? Yeah, absolutely. It probably will. That's that's the average, right? So it, it, over time, where do you want your money? You probably want your money in the market rather than out. Uh, so the logical, rational answer is all in for me is the right answer. Uh, if you're someone though who wants to have cash left over so you can keep dribbling money in if and when prices fall further, then make that call for yourself. Leave out you know, five, 10% of your portfolio and put a little bit of, to work every fortnight, every month. If it makes you feel better that you're getting advantage of, of lower prices to offset the pain of your portfolio falling. This one, uh, this question is, uh, if you listen to our podcast, this is the question that always uh, irritates me to some degree, not in a bad way. Uh, it's a question from a young person. And I uh, always, always resent the fact there are younger people out there getting started investing earlier than I did. And this one's from Declan. I'm 17 and I just started investing. I've started my portfolio with an ETF, the Vanguard Global Shares Fund. Can Vanguard go broke? Can I lose all my money? Um, that's often a really, really great question to ask, Declan. Um, look, I don't believe in absolutes, so there's a there's a there's a back of the envelope kind of easy backhanded answer which gets us moving forward. Uh, I can say no, of course not going to go broke, and we move on. The chance of going broke are really, 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 really remote. It's a not-for-profit organization. The way it's structured is that the unit holders, i.e., you, if you invested in that, actually own the business that manages the funds. So it's this circular kind of business that. I mean, you know, it's always possible for every entity, whether it's a company, a trust, or whatever, to get themselves in a financial trouble. So I would never, ever, ever say to anybody with an absolute answer, no, this can't happen, or yes, that will definitely happen. I just don't do that. It's not my thing, right? It's unfair. It's unreasonable. It's not right. Um, the chance of Vanguard going broke, short of, I can't imagine what scenario it would require, are remarkably, remarkably, remarkably small. I, I can't imagine a scenario in which it went broke. And if it did, a scenario in which your unit um, holdings wouldn't be protected. So again, is it possible? Yes, I don't want to, again, nothing's guaranteed, no, no guarantees in anything in investing in life, um, other than death, death and taxes maybe. Um, Declan, I wouldn't, I'm not, I have some units in a Vanguard International, I think it's the same one you've got actually. Um, I, I, I'm not losing a second sleep over it, I haven't even thought about it since. It's possible, yes, uh, the odds of that are astronomically small in my view, uh, so I wouldn't worry about it. Okay, um, are there any, any indicators we should be watching as to when the bottom or close to it has been reached? Yes, but only in hindsight. Um, no, there, there, is, there is no way to know. Uh, if you look at any, here's the, here's the thing about reading charts. People read charts to try and invest. In hindsight, it looks obvious. You look back and go, ah, oh. so it fell, then it recovered, it fell again. And after X number of days, and it went back up again. That's happened twice, so I guess that's how we work it out. The problem is for everything that confirms that, there's something, probably more, that disconfirmed that view. So you can look back to the GFC and say, well, it fell, then it bounced back a little bit, dead cap bounce, they call it, fell again, came up, fell again. Okay, three times, if it falls, I'll buy then. Except maybe it doesn't this time. Maybe it falls twice. Or maybe it falls four times. Um, if it falls twice, you miss out on the bottom you're waiting for. If it falls four times, you buy. I think it's the bottom. It falls again. And you go, oh man, I was wrong. I should have. I should have waited. Um, no, there is no way to do it. And again, if there was a generally accepted way to do it, then everyone would be doing it. And so that's that's important. Okay. Um, you use history to say it will always come good. However, if you live in Japan, no such thing has taken place with a Nikkei in thirty years. Why? Good question. 
Uh, I don't want to get into <laughs> Japanese economics right now. A um, couple of things worth mentioning. The first is the Nikkei was at phenomenally, extraordinarily overvalued levels. Uh, think about the NASDAQ in 1999 type stuff, just out of control, stupid prices. Um, the market has always come back in Australia or has always come back in the US. It hasn't yet in Japan. I, I don't, I, I, I'm pretty careful to say history says it has always, not it will always. Um, if I ever screw that language up, feel free to let me know. Um, I try to be clear about that again because we don't give guarantees, we don't do promises. We, we'd rather call it straight. We're not that sort of business. Uh, so that's that's how it's happened in the past. That's what's happened in the past. The Nikkei, so stupidly high prices is the first thing. Second thing is Japanese population is aging dramatically and I think even falling or at least flat. They are really, really tough combinations of demographics and finances to come from. Um, at some point, if the ASX went up to, uh, it doesn't really matter, I don't even follow those numbers, it went up to 30,000 points tomorrow and someone said, would you invest now? Will it always go up from here? I'd say, no, I don't think so. So I'm not saying it will always go up no matter what the circumstance, but we have two things in our favour. The first is we never got to those silly valuations of the Nikkei 30 years ago, and we have a growing population, and a population that's, I don't know if they're getting younger necessarily, but it's not getting that much older. Um, the boomers are kind of getting to the end of, of their time with us, uh, hopefully for a lot longer yet. If you're a boomer and you're watching, hopefully you're around for another 30 or 40 years. Uh, but, you know, there is a bulge in the population there which is changing things, and that is getting older, so the population is ageing in that sense. Uh, do I expect that over time... Uh, that to be a problem. I think population here will keep growing. That's a positive. We're working from reasonable valuations, even if we're slightly overvalued as a market. We're nowhere near the sort of crazy valuations the Japanese stock market got to. So yeah, could we get that situation? Yes, absolutely. If we got to a market that was valued 100 times earnings as a whole, I'd absolutely say, you know what, maybe not from that point. Remember too, though, you don't just get one point. Yes, from 30 years ago, the guy's still down. But from most of the last 30 years, i.e. after that peak, Market's up. No, not up a lot, to be fair. And I'm not suggesting that that justifies anything. Just remember, though, that peak to now is not the only way to invest. The ASX hit a high in 2007, and people say, oh, this is 2007, here's where we are now. So, well, okay, yeah, if you invested all your money then, and you hadn't invested all of before or after, and held it all till right now, that's exactly the return you got. If you didn't invest any money in 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, you bought it at much, much lower prices. If you'd invested in 2007 as well, that you paid a high price, and then in 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, you paid low prices. So net-net, you're not just saying peak-to-peak peak or peak-to-now. That's just, It's a really, it's, a, it's an understandable way to do it. Humans take a lot of, kind of mental shortcuts. That's one we do. We sort of say, last peak to here, okay, here's how much it's up or down. It's just not very useful. Like, it's it's just not. Unless, I said, unless you never invested before or after that, if the only time you bought was the top market in 2007, and then now you're looking at your value and saying, what have I done since? I mean, someone out there possibly has just by law of averages, the rest of us bought before, during, after, and got much lower prices. So just be careful not to look at just the single point and say that you know that's the only number that matters. In fact, it's the number that matters at least because it's one day or it's a few months or it's a year and a half out of a 30-plus year investing time horizon where you're hopefully adding regularly to super, to your personal investing account. That's the number that's far more useful, the average cost. That's why dollar cost averaging works really, really well because the average over that period of time. Next question is from... Anonymous again. <laughs> in times like these, do you have any additional buy filters or criteria? You run stocks through before hitting buy, and if so, can you share an example? Um, the only one I would probably just reflect on, I've already mentioned it, so I won't spend too long on this one, is debt. You want to be minimizing the chance of going broke. So, uh, you know, as long as the business itself is fundamentally sound, for between now and then, or whatever that is, hopefully, look, look at five, well, I always look at five years, right? Every one of my companies I recommend or buy, has at least a five-year horizon. In five years, I expect this company to be bigger, better, and meaningfully so, because obviously a little bit's not going to pay itself off over five years. 
But I'm looking at that far and saying, is the compound, you know, despite the the, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, i.e. coronavirus, unfortunately, or last year's 25% boom, by the way, in the market, um, take those two together, we're still ahead, by the way, so that's an important thing to note. Uh, to put those two things together, that, you know, I'm looking for avoiding big, big blow-ups. And so that's probably the key one, the key filter. You may want to think about, again, depending on what sort of investor you are, um, the risk of volatility or downside. So even if a Webjet had no debt, for example, it could still, I guess there's a way it could still go broke somehow. I don't know how. Um, it could be permanently impaired. Maybe fewer people travel after the virus. Again, I don't think that's likely. I think we'll get back to normal pretty quickly. Um, now, pretty quickly after it finishes, not from now, I'm saying, I'm not, not suggesting as a, a short-term recovery necessarily, but once it's over, I think we'll get back to life the way it used to be. Now, maybe we don't. And so maybe you want to factor that in. Um, a business with more steady recurring revenue, like a tech company, or even recurring revenue like a supermarket, for example. Um, we're not going to buy less baked beans after them before. We might buy less toilet paper. Um, if you're a toilet paper manufacturer, you want to be careful of your stocks because we're probably enough in our houses right now. Uh, just be careful of that. But other than that, no, debt is the big one. Uh, other than that, it's business as usual. It's it's literally five. You know, you, the, the approach I always took three months ago was five years' time, today's price. They're the maths. Right now, same thing, five years' time, today's price. Uh, just because the market's down and falling doesn't mean we take a different perspective other than, as I said, being careful of business fundamentals. Uh, USA or Australian shares for the current climate? Good question. I would say both. <laughs> That's a cop-out, right? Uh, but I would say both. I, look, I think Anibar Mahanti, who works with me, uh, who also does the podcast with me, if you don't if you don't listen, feel free. Motley for money. Uh, done with Triple M. Check it up on your podcast feed. I only say that because we've talked about that a little bit recently. Um, Anibar would say US shares, but he also would say, I think it's right to say, no, it's not a question of which of the two. It's a question of where is the best investment. So I have a, you know, at my desktop right now, I can log on to my US trading account or my Australian trading account, and I can buy or sell shares in either of those two markets. And so I'm not saying, well, I'm only going to put money in this or there necessarily. You look across them and say, with my Australian dollars today, because we're spending Australian dollars, whether we're investing in the US or here, where should I invest? Where's the best investment opportunity? Now, that best company to buy is Berkshire Hathaway in the US or Apple or Amazon, then I buy that. If the best I use Woolies or BHB or Flight Travel, uh, Flight Center, Flight Travel, Flight Center, then I buy that. Um, so I wouldn't try and choose one or the other. The only thing I would say, generally speaking, and I've said often, is if you're investing in the US, just be mindful that currency hurts you or not hurts you, but is impactful both ways. And you want to be careful bringing money back. I would have a longer time horizon on my US investments because if the dollar is super unfavorable at the day I want to bring my money back or cash out some shares, I don't want to be forced to take a really bad exchange rate or share price, by the way. We say five years plus because it means you don't have to be forced to accept whatever price the market's offering on whatever day. If you're retiring today or you want to buy a house today, you want to cash out your entire super, you're feeling pretty bad because you lost 20%. If you know you're going to have to cash it out sometime in the next three years or five years, then you can make a choice as to which out when prices are more favorable. Currency is the same. But because you do currency and price, share price, uh, a little bit of a longer time horizon, just so you're not forced to do it at an inopportune time is smart. So... Near term, uh, Australia, longer term, either. Uh, only other considerations, again, franking credits. If you're an investor who can use franking credits or for whom it's important for your tax or, or income situation, you only get franking credits from Australian companies. So be better in mind. If you were to buy a bank stock, is there a standout that you think will bounce back quickly if, that you would invest in? Um, no, not a particular stock. Not one company that I would I would choose. Uh, of the available lot, um, with, look, I, I'm a bit flat on banks. I'm not super bullish, not super bearish. I do worry about where yeah, uh, credit growth comes from. We maxed out on mortgages right now in Australia. Where does the growth in credit come from? And if it doesn't come, how do banks get profit growth? And I don't think they can. So 
I wouldn't buy banks unless you kind of already counted on not growing at all and buying them just because they look super cheap. And so you're almost waiting for a valuation bounce back rather than a profit growth story. Uh, or if you, if you wanted the fully franked income, you thought it was sustainable. I would be a little bit mindful that the bank dividends may not be super sustainable at the current levels over the medium term. So just be a little bit careful of that. Again, not saying they won't. And frankly, even if they'll cut, they're still probably attractive, right? But don't bank the absolute dollars just in case they get cut. Of the lot, I would tend to, as a matter of course, buy the cheapest one, as long as there's no particular hairs on that company. Because um, the system is the system is the system. They own about 85, 90% of the market between them. They're probably going to move roughly in lockstep. Not always the case, of course. Uh, but generally, I, I think if you probably always bought the cheapest bank, I dare say over time you probably did well as long as you just kind of repeated that process. I don't think you should. Uh, I'm not buying any banks. I haven't recommended any banks other than NAB for income, everlasting income that I run. Um, other than that, I think we have any other banks at the multi-field in any of our services. Um, so we don't think they're great investments for long-term market betting returns. But if I was going to, I'd probably go for the cheapest one of the four. Given recent falls, do you recommend investing in individual companies at a discounted price or ETFs tracking the index for both the ASX and the New York Stock Exchange? It depends on the investor that you are. Uh, I think when the whole market falls, the whole market is cheaper than it was. And that makes buying an ETF likely a good way to make money because if I'm right and the market is temporarily depressed, now that might again be months, I'm gonna say temporarily, I'm not saying days necessarily, maybe, might be weeks, it might be months. Um, if it's gonna bounce back, then having exposure to the whole market gives you the whole market's bounce back. That's a, that's a safer way of capitalizing on the market's downturn. If you wanna beat the market averages though, you can't do that without buying individual stocks. Uh, individual stocks give you the chance to make money, beat the market, but also possibly lose to the market. So both of those exist. That makes it a less certain outcome. I won't say riskier necessarily, although you do run the risk of having less money. So I guess that is risky in some real sense. Um, but again, picking stocks well, you may end up beating the market, which gets you end up with more money. So I would say if you're an enterprising investor who is interested enough, has the time, inclination, wants to, and I feel like I can give myself a plug here, but if you want to buy one of our services or someone else's investment service to get that sort of feedback, then go for it. Um, I think individual stocks are a great way to try and beat the market if you're good at it. If you're not good at it, by the way, stop and buy an index anyway. Uh, but I think right now, either, as long as you choose the stocks well, is, is okay. Um, if you're someone who wants to choose stocks or don't have the risk or the the appetite for the ups and downs. Remember, of course, you'll be wrong when you pick individual stocks sometimes. You have to acknowledge that and accept that. If you can do that, individual stocks are great. If you can't or don't want to, I think an ETF is a great way to go. Is it okay just to sit and wait for the crisis to settle? Absolutely, yes, perfectly okay. Uh, I And this is back to the kind of investor that you are. I think the only problem with waiting for the crisis to settle is Warren Buffett has a great quote, which is you pay a very high price in the stock market for a cheery consensus. If you only buy when everyone else is happy, you're buying at the top of the market. You, you would have bought three months ago, you would have bought 2007, you would have bought in 1999 uh, because everyone was happy. It, it felt great. No, There were no obvious risks on the horizon, right? Or at least none of the market as a whole was factoring in. Now we know the dot-com crash happened. We know the GFC happened. And of course, unfortunately, we know the coronavirus hit a couple of, well, it became a pandemic today, but certainly has been brewing for a while. Now. I'm not saying I'm not saying you have to buy at the depths of despair either. I'm just saying, yes, absolutely wait for the crisis to settle, but don't wait for a cheery consensus. Don't wait for everyone to be happy because that's good. that's a ticket for subpar returns because you're only buying only when everyone's happy. And by the way, if you'd have bought when everyone was happy in the middle of last year, at the end of last year, you're actually down now. If you'd bought at the beginning of last year, so beginning of 2019, after the November, December 2018, where everyone was panicking and freaked out about tech stocks, 
you got 25% last year. So yes, it's okay to wait for the crisis to pass in some sense, as long as you're not waiting all the way for everyone to be happy and all the risks to go away, because then you end up doing what they said, you know, buying at the top, selling at the bottom, which is a terrible, terrible way to make money. I would rather you invest, if you're that sort of person, invest regularly in small amounts. You know, commit, to, commit yourself to putting money in the market every month, regardless of what's happening with the market. If it's up, invest. If it's down, invest. If it's sideways, invest. If the market's feeling happy, invest. If it's uh, you know, pessimistic and, and terrified, invest. That's the, you know, automating your, your process is the very best way to overcome your emotions if you do feel a bit put off by it. So yeah, you can wait. Probably don't. Probably try and put at least some money to work regularly is, the, I think, a better option. Um, what would the best strategy be to aim for the best outcome in the future? And if our nation goes into recession, what would you recommend we do? Wow, okay. That's Hendrik. Hendrik, um, the best strategy for the best outcome, in my mind, is investing regularly. Um, these are answers that I want you to have a think about because it feels like a platitude, right? Uh, I'll just do it. Just, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, and some people will, will hear me say that, watch me say that and say, well, he's just, you know, what does he know? The honest answer is the, the compound returns for investing in shares are phenomenal over time. Despite 87, despite 99, despite 2007 and 8, despite now, the returns are phenomenal. The 10% on, on average a year, it goes up. That means you double your money on average, that'd be seven years. Um, I think the best strategy is to, to stay invested and add regularly. Um, whether it's my service or our services or not, I don't, I don't mind. It's not an ad. It's not about me. It's not about the Motley Fool. Um, if you buy an index fund and add to that, great. Knock yourself out. Do that. Um, I, I don't know of a better strategy than adding regularly. In hindsight, it's great. If you give me the last 30 years charts and ask me the best time to invest, I can tell you with pinpoint accuracy what the best times were. Um, if you ask me to do it forward 30 years, I have no idea. But if the market continues to deliver some sort of return around what it's got in the past, I want the cash in the market. I want it in the market now. I want it to stay in the market for as long as possible. Um, so I, the best strategy is to invest regularly. Um, second part of question about recession, mate, I don't know. Again, the, the market, the problem with this is by the time the market knows when recession is already priced that in. So you can't go, there's no, there's no free ticket there. Um, if you think it's going to, you can sell everything now. And if we don't, you, you lose out. Plenty of people at the end of 2008, was 18, sorry. Doesn't Plenty of people at the end of 18 were saying, uh, this is a terrible, market's terrible, don't invest, don't invest, don't invest. Now, the ASX went up 25% last year, including dividends. Um, that was a terrible time not to have invested because people were trying to read the tea leaves. Um, do we have a recession? I don't know. If it happens, we won't get any warning or the warning we do get will already be factored in by the market anyway. So trying to kind of second guess it or somehow get ahead of it, you, you can, the only way to do it is to make it to make a bet, right? Say, I think it's going to happen, I'm going to sell everything. Or I don't think it's going to happen, I'm going to let, buy everything. I don't think you can do it. I just don't think it works. Um, I'd love to think it was. I could. Um, investing is often about things you don't do rather than things you do, right? If you don't know, don't try. Um, unless you know you're going to be right. Even those people that, remember the, old, the people, there's a couple of people who are famous, I'm not going to name them because they don't need the extra publicity, who are famous for making the right market call about the GFC, right? They made calls since. No one talks about them. No one talks to them because they haven't been right yet. There's no big catastrophe coming. Um, same in the past. No one predicted the coronavirus would be a stock market impact three months ago. Uh, no one knew it was coming. And yet, you know, if and when someone predicted the GFC, they're, they're heroes for the next decade. They've haven't bought another drink or dinner in their lives because they're on the speaking circuit about how great they are and how right they were. Um, you're better to invest anyway. I don't know about the recession. You can't predict it. You can't front run it. Um, I would say invest anyway. The other thing, by the way, is the market will recover normally, usually, before the economy does. So even if we're right about going to a recession, when do you buy back in? Again, you can't know that because the market will recover before the good news comes in because the market is a forward-looking mechanism. Um. 
at what point should I trigger a stop loss? I don't like stop losses at all. Um, generally speaking, if you look at any meaningfully successful company or even index, they fall regularly, but grow more substantially over time. If you are stopped out every time you hit a 5% or 10% fall, um, I famously tell the story of Amazon that went from uh, $3 to $100 and back to nine, and then up to 1800. I own shares for the record, not those prices, unfortunately. Um, if you'd been stopped at anywhere between 100 and nine, you would have felt like you were a genius. You sell at 100, you stopped out at 90, great. Goes to, goes to nine, you, th you think you're a genius? Now, if you bought back in at nine, of course you are a genius, you did really, really well. Most people don't though, right? They wait for something else. They wait for the storm to clear, they wait for something, maybe they buy it again, maybe they never do. Um, it, it, again, it's one of those things that's smart on paper and stockbrokers love it because it earns them commission. Uh, I don't believe it's well done by individuals because we're not rational as much as we like to think we are. If you honestly think you're gonna buy at 20, sell if it hits 18 and then buy again at 18, well, you might as well stay in. If you're not gonna buy at 18, then why do you own the stock in the first place? If it's not attractive enough at 18 to buy, if the interest is gonna fall further, then you're predicting the future that I think anyone can predict. So that, that, that instinctively it makes sense. But if you think through the implications, both rationally, mathematically, behaviorally, and think about, can I really do that? I don't think you can. I think the answer is yes. So I wouldn't do a stop loss at all. It means you're gonna be more volatile as a portfolio. Yes, you're gonna suffer bigger losses when they fall. You'll also be prime because you'll, you'll, by definition, own the shares at the lowest price. So you get all the gain on the way back as well. Um, I can't imagine a scenario buying it. If, if, I, if I didn't like a stock, stock enough to hold it for fill 10%, I don't have any business owning it in, in my view. Um, is now a good time to invest in the cannabis industry? No, I don't think so. Uh, if you're a super speculative investor and think you have an opportunity, then maybe have a look at it. I don't, I don't see a proven business model for cannabis. Um, there is legal cannabis for recreational use in North America. We will, I'm absolutely certain, see medical cannabis approved in Australia at some point. When, I don't know. Who's gonna win that race? I don't know. Is it gonna be enough profit in that industry? I don't know. Um, if you don't know the answer to those questions, then it becomes pure gambling speculation. If you wanna do it, hey, knock yourself out. Um, just call it gambling, call it speculation, call it a lotto ticket. Uh, I don't know which companies I would go with. I, I, I don't own any, I've never owned any. I can't imagine this side of some sort of proven business model, me owning any, but strange things have happened. But I, <laughs> you, could, um, you could take a decent odds that I won't be buying cannabis companies anytime soon. All right, it seemed pretty obvious a week or weeks ago that travel stocks were gonna get slammed. Why did the Motley Fool not issue a sell recommendation on these stocks? Chris, the answer is because I don't think it was as obvious as you think it was. Um, remember, of course, there are two, I talked about sentiment before and I talked about fundamentals. Um, you know, it's impossible to know in advance how far these things happen. If I had a dollar for every time someone told me something was obvious that then didn't happen, uh, I'd be richer than I am now, put it that way. Um, in hindsight, you look, of course it was going to fall because X, Y, Z. That's 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 true, but that's also the confirmation bias when you're right, right? It's like the, the punter who talks about his wins. You know, the, the guy, the, the tracker says, oh, look, I, I picked you know, the horse number five in the eight. Look how well I did. He doesn't mention he lost money in the first seven races. If you can know in advance, of course you would. We would have sold too. If we, if, if I'd have known with, with, with some degree of certainty or at least probability the share price was going to keep falling, of course I would have sold. It was like everything. I mean, I bought shares two weeks ago. You know, I'm doing the exact opposite of what you suggested we should do. Um, did I know they would fall further? No, of course not. Um, could anyone have known? No. You may have had that view. You may well be right. That that view can be right because you're lucky or because your thought process was right. And that's cool too. Um, ben Graham said you're neither right nor wrong because the market says you're right or wrong. You're right or wrong because your data and your process is right. I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, but the broad idea is still true. In some parallel universe, travel stocks fell and didn't didn't fall any further because 
the market believed that it overreacted and that the future would be brighter. More importantly, I don't know when otherwise we'd buy them if we'd sold them um, because the future is still the same. Yeah, at a lower price, sure. If we had a lower price, of course we would do it. Uh, we may well buy some more at some point at lower prices. Uh, but the, the, the reality remained as long-term investors were looking forward five years and saying, I think profits are higher in five years than they are today or they were last year. Um, I think the price is attractive for that. Why would I sell in that scenario? And if the answer is, because I thought share prices might fall further in the meantime, okay, I, 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 you could have that You could have that view, you can have that supposition. I don't know how you would justify the supposition other than I think it would. Um, again, you could line the you line the footpath with with people's opinions as to what they said would definitely happen that didn't happen. I'm not saying you're wrong. In the event you're right, maybe you're, maybe you're uh, smarter and more insightful than I am. Uh, but what I do know is that for uh, from our perspective, we have no way of forecasting what happens in the short term in the market. There are people there who are still selling. There are people there who are buying. For every sale, there's a buy, right? So half the market, by definition, believes the shares are worth buying right now. The other half believes they're worth selling right now. Who's right? Well, maybe both, maybe either. Depends on your perspective and your time frame, maybe. Um, but that, that's that's obviously the reality, right? For everyone who says, of course, that's obvious. Someone says, of course, the other is obvious, but the opposite is obvious. Um, I don't mean to be flippant. That, that's just the reality of investing, right? The We're trying to play a rational, logical game where we're putting the odds of success in our favor by doing things that we know have been right in the past and we expect to continue to deliver us good results in the future. Um, okay, last question from the pack. I've got a couple from Facebook, so I'll go to those and then we'll give you some time back. Uh, from Gus. With the recent volatility, my wife thinks I've thrown our savings to the dogs. Not Gus. How can I explain in simple terms that everything will be okay in the long term? This is going to have a really easy answer. Google Vanguard 2019 index chart. It will show you the 30-year performance of the stock market. Uh, these days, actually, if you can, Google the 2017 version, um, only because that has the 87 crash in it. When it's a 30-year chart, and because we're all getting a bit older, uh, the, the, the 87 crash doesn't exist in the current chart anymore because it's more than 30 years ago. So get the 2017 one if you can. You'll see a little tiny little blip at the bottom of the left-hand side of the, of the chart. Uh, that's the 87 crash that was Black Monday. Socks fell 25% or whatever it was on the day. In hindsight, it's almost, it's almost imperceptible. It's almost imperceptible. The GFC, even, you see that the, the, the curve of the GFC is nowhere near as bad as it felt at the time or even feels necessarily right now in hindsight. Um, that puts things in a heap of perspective. Um, it shows also the long-term returns despite that. Uh, I say all the time, market will make you money or has always made us money despite the bad times, not in the absence of bad times. 10% annual rise returns, give or take, for the last century include, well, now, again, don't include World War I anymore, but if we go back even further to that, including World War I, it includes the First World War, the Second World War, the Great Depression, it includes Vietnam, Korea, Malaya, it includes the oil shock of the 1970s, it includes stagflation of the 1980s, it includes the 87 crash, it includes the 999.com crash, the Asian financial crisis that most of us have forgotten since, the GFC, and by the way, the coronavirus. If you add all those together, that is exactly the story of investing over the long term. Show that graph, show the numbers. Um, it, it's, it's a compound game. It's scary. Um, she should know this will happen again, by the way, so also tell her that. The, the reality is this is a volatile, volatile thing to do, but it's phenomenally worthwhile, or has been. Again, I'm not promising anything, but my bet is, literally, because I'm my entire life savings other than my house are in the stock market, my bet is that the future will be as good-ish, will be very, very good uh, relative to the past because there's no reason why it be. This is the, the harnessing of, of human ingenuity. It is hitching our wagon to the people who are making better products, better services, finding better and cheaper ways to do things, um, that's what that's what the stock market does, right? That's exactly why it's successful. If you think ingenuity and innovation is dead, 
then give up. But don't invest. Uh, if you think that it's it's you know it, it's it's still alive, but the shares are all over the place. Remember, the businesses themselves, other than some travel businesses and associated businesses, haven't suffered, and they're probably not even worth much less than they were because the long term is still bright. Ask your wife if people are going to keep traveling in five years' time. If people are going to go to Woolies in five years' time. If BHP is going to still mine iron ore in five years' time. I don't blame her, by the way, for feeling um, concerned. If you're new to the market, I absolutely get it. Um, I've had with my own family a process of education. My old man, I've written before, thought the stock market was a casino. I, I get it. I really understand from the outside why people think this is a dangerous and volatile, risky place. It is volatile. I don't think it's dangerous. I don't think it's risky as long as you do it well. Be diversified, buy the right stocks, hold for the long term, add money regularly, by the way. When stocks are cheap, this is time to be adding money. So use that chart, as I said, Vanguard index chart, 2019, if you want the most recent one, or 2017, if you want to include the ASX, uh, sorry, the 987 crash, that'll give you a real sense of the sort of downturns. They even helpfully put some notes at the top to show what was happening macroeconomically, politically at the time. And it really gives you that very strong sense that kind of there's almost inexorable rise up and to the right, despite all the stuff that happens in the short term. All right, I've talked for way too long, but I'm going to quickly go to um, uh, go to Facebook for some questions. All right, question from Amanda. When you say every month, is there a minimum to invest? Um, Amanda, not really. Most stockbrokers have a minimum investment of 500 bucks at a go, but the likes of Comsec Pocket, we're not affiliated with Comsec, and I'm not, I don't own shares. Um, Comsec Pocket does give you the opportunity to invest even smaller amounts. Um, I would save what you can, put it in an investment account, separate account. Don't live in your savings account because you'll spend it. Not you, but me or everyone. Everyone will do it. Um, go to that. Uh, 500 bucks, generally speaking, or Comsec Pocket or others have, I think it's 50 bucks minimum. It's really, really effective. So um, don't let that put you off. And if it's every two months, if you can't pull it money together every month, make it every two months. That's okay too. All I mean is invest regularly as much as you can. Okay. Um, thoughts on iron ore and gold stocks. Gold has run up really high because everyone's scared. Um, that's normally, again, uh, Warren Buffett says, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. In gold stocks right now, I'm pretty sure people are pretty greedy. Even when the the, the the bad news passes, I dare say that gold stock will fall because no one wants as much gold anymore. Not no one wants gold, but as much gold. Um, it is it does tend to rise when the market falls. Um, if that's the case and you're buying it now after the market's fallen, but maybe it's got more to go, I don't know. I'm a long-term guy. I have no idea in the next three months what happens to gold. Um, I don't know that long-term is going to beat the market though from here. Iron ore, um, iron ore you want to buy when the price is low. Uh, and you want to buy the, the highest quality miners when everyone's you know worried about the price. I go by BHP or Rio or Fortescue when your iron ore price crashes, uh, which I don't think is now. Um, it's an opportunistic buy. You don't want to hold for long term either because prices tend to fluctuate, and so you will have you know very high highs and possibly very low lows. If you want to be opportunistic when the when the price crashes, the best time to do it. Um, thoughts on CSL? Excuse me, I put my glasses on. I'm getting old. CSL, Cochlear, Resmed. Um, love the businesses a lot. Uh, I like the businesses very, very much. Do I, um, Cochlear and ResMed are buy recommendations of mine at Motley Fool Share Advisor. They are not cheap right now. They're worth holding. Um, I love the business. I think Cochlear particularly has got a massive, massive long-term runway because it's going to help a lot of people for a lot of time. And by the way, once you have an implant, you're going to use their products and services for almost the rest of your life. So um, really, really high quality business. ResMed similarly has been more volatile. I think it has a good solution. CSL, wonderful, wonderful business. I can't quite come at their price at the moment just because if you think about how big they are and how successful they've been, they're already the I think, number two in the world. I'm not sure where the growth comes from. Now, you might say coronavirus, and that maybe will be true. Immunizations and blood products are probably going to keep growing. I can't get my head around a, a, a formula that gets me to this current price. And again, I might be wrong. Um, I just haven't, haven't recommended it to our members. Okay, um, try to be quick here because we're almost getting finished. 
Um, Jennifer's bought some stocks from one of our recommendations. Very concerned about some stocks. Hope they bounce back. I do too. Um, the Blastoff report was a diversified portfolio of 20 stocks. Um, I don't know about individual companies. Individual companies may do well or badly. Um, I don't mean that flippantly, but we buy the portfolio as a group for exactly that reason, right? Um, Peter Lynch, the US fund manager, says if you're good in this game, you're right six times out of 10. That probably means about 12 or 13 times, maybe 11 times out of 20 for that report. If you bought the portfolio in the suggested allocations, um, I, I'm still very confident in the long-term future of those companies. Um, Greg says, I recently topped up my investments in Solpats and I'm considering adding more, but the profit guidance, I'm a bit confused. There was profit guidance out yesterday from Solpats. They say profit is down considerably, but they're expecting good capital growth and as such, dividends are expected to increase. Am I interpreting correctly? Can you please explain? Um, yes, you're interpreting correctly. Uh, they Look, Solpats makes money from its holding companies. Um, both the, uh, they own some businesses outright. They have majority stakes in some, minority stakes in others. They will get their cash from those companies. Capital growth alone won't do the job. I don't know if they did say exactly that. If they did, then I don't know. I necessarily 100% agree. And I love Solpats, by the way, as a business. Um, I own some. Uh, I think you will find, when they say capital growth, they are a listed investment company. And so they will sometimes make money by buying cheap and selling expensive. And the capital gain they make goes back into buying more stuff. And that's also true. The dividends, though, are, are a decent proportion of their earnings. I think, you, I think I'd be surprised if we don't see that uh, continue to grow over time. Uh, I'm not worried about it. In fact, I was hoping the shares would fall today so I could buy some cheap, but they haven't. So um, I think it's a pretty good value right now. It's a buy for us at Share Advisor, and I own the shares myself. Uh, Bob says, I'm not a seller, but should authorities restrict or impose rules to, shop sort, to stop short selling to avoid normal everyday investors from panic selling? Oh, Bob, you'll get me in trouble here. I got massively flamed on Twitter for suggesting short selling should be banned not long ago. You're asking me to, to jump back into the lion's den, but because I'm either foolish, capital F foolish maybe, uh, or, uh, or just not very smart, um, I don't love short selling. I don't think it forms a, a particularly useful and necessary purpose. I don't doubt there are, there are some positives. I don't think it's a net positive. Short selling uh, tends to push prices down in the short term and may scare some people out of their stocks, which is great for short sellers, not great for mum and dad investors who are freaked out and sell in a panic. So um, I don't think I would, I, I don't I don't think we need to have short sellers in the market. I don't dislike the short sellers themselves. No issue with them individually. Um, I've been accused of being a pump and dump merchant because I don't like short selling somehow that I only want the good news. That's absolutely not true. Uh, I'm just not sure whether it, it's it's as useful a part of the market as the short sellers like to think. Uh, and I'm not sure we need it in our market. Housing market works fine without short selling. Um, car market works fine without short selling. I just don't think we need it. Um, but, but, uh, is it best to focus on shares with good dividend returns, says John Spender, rather than growth? Um, depends on the sort of investor you are, John. As I kind of said earlier, I don't think you need to just do that. Um, I, I think you know if you if you need some certainty around returns and some some stability in returns, then dividends are a great way to do it. So for some people, absolutely great idea. Yes, uh, for others, I don't have a big focus on dividends. Um, I have a long time, hopefully, left in the workforce. Uh, I, over time, my total return. I don't really care whether I get my return from dividends or capital growth. Um, I'd happily do either, whatever gives you the best possible return. So I don't think it needs to be one or the other. If you're maximizing total returns as your only objective, if you want some stability, dividend stocks are a great way to do it because you'll get some or most of your return on some years, maybe even more than your total return, right? If stocks are down this year and dividends are positive, then at least you're getting something positive from the stocks. Um, that's not the only way to look at investing, but if you look at it that way and you want to do it that way, that makes a heap of sense. Um, what type of shares survived or bounced back in previous crashes from Margaret? All of them, at uh, least all the quality companies. I don't mean that flippantly. Um, as long as the company doesn't go broke in the meantime, and if economic activity recovers, and unless there are real structural changes in the economy, 
I think we can assume it will continue to be good. Um, bounce back will be okay. Justin Davies, he hasn't got a clue. We're just going to tell you to buy. Justin, you picked me. I am going to tell you to buy. Absolutely, mate. Um, uh, Lim Yoxu, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, why has Treasury and Jumbo on the ASX lost so much in less than a month? Uh, because my, investors are scared. Um, Treasury had some US issues, uh, also possibly some coronavirus or China demand concerns. Jumbo, I'm not entirely sure, frankly. Um, maybe investors thought it was too expensive. It goes back to that kind of tech stock cohort I talked about earlier. Um, don't know. Uh, I own Treasury myself. Jumbo has been a recommendation of ours. I like both companies. Uh, I don't know what happens in the short term, as I've said many times already in the last hour or so. Uh, I think it's. I think it's. I think they're they're good investments. Uh, Michael said, "Which bank or no bank do we buy?" I've answered that question. I think that's it, Phils. I really appreciate you spending about an hour with me. Uh, my team had said, "Oh, 15 to 30 minutes." I'm slightly over that. Um, hopefully, I'm not uh, getting penalised by the minute, or I could uh, be up for a decent fine when I get off this particular call. Uh, I hope you've appreciated the time we spent together. I certainly have. I, I really appreciate the questions that you've sent in and those who voted didn't necessarily ask their own questions, but voted for others' questions. Thank you for taking the time to share your concerns, your questions, your thoughts. I hope this has been worthwhile for you. If it has and you like it, please let us know, not because I want the ego boost, uh, but because if it works, we'll do more of them. Uh, if, they're, if they're a useful way to communicate with you and help you understand a bit more about the market and our perspective, then we'll do more of them. If you, if you want us to, if you think it's a terrible waste of time and you wish you'd gone for a walk instead, well, my apologies in advance. Uh, and maybe you can let us know that too. I'm happy to take that on notice. I'm not sure it'll necessarily stop me, but you never know. Fools, uh, thank you again. Uh, look, this is a volatile time. If I have a final message to sign off, it is just stay the course. I understand it's panicky. Look at that Vanguard chart I mentioned before. Have a look at the GFC. Have a look at the 87 crash. Have a look at the volatility before, during, and after all those times. That is the, it, it, the picture does tell a thousand words in a very simple graph. I think that's investing in a nutshell. There's some numbers over on the right-hand side of that graph that show you the compound returns from these sorts of things. I'll tell you what we might even do. We might even throw it in the, we'll throw it in the comments of this chat. How about that? that that's very, uh, very tech of me. We'll find that graph and we'll chuck it in the, in the comments. There you go. I should have thought of that before. Um, I'm still coming out of the Stone Age, sorry. Uh, we'll throw that in the comments. Have a look at that. Um, have a look for yourself. Download a copy. Give it to your friends. Put it on the wall. Remind yourself that this is what the market does. Uh, please do stay the course. If you're with us, great. Thank you very much. We appreciate your trust and your loyalty. If you're not, that's cool too. And we hope your investing is great. My message here is not to, to big us up or do any marketing for our businesses to try and help you as investors get through the market, giving you the advice I'd want to hear if I was in your shoes and you were in mine. We try and treat our members and our readers in the same way, which is to say, we want to help you be the best investors you can be. Our company motto is to make the world smarter, happier and richer. So hopefully you've done a little bit of that over the last hour. Thanks again, Fools, for watching. I really appreciate your time. Have a great rest of your day and a great weekend and full on.